Blog Talk Radio. Welcome out there in Blog Talk Radio land, our off-the-shelf listeners. You are listening to the top book online. You can also tune in offline, but you're listening to the top, I mean the winning literary book radio show, Off the Shelf, and we are... We have already put in 12 years with Off the Shelf and heading for 13. So we want to thank all of you, our loyal listeners who've been with us over the years, whether you learned about us through our newsletter, The Book Lovers Haven, or at chistel.com. However you learned about us, you can listen via iTunes, and there's still time uh, to dial in if you want to, if you're out and about and you want to listen in on your cell phone or your mobile device and you're traveling, the number is 347-994-3490. Again, that's 347-994-3490. The chat room's open. Or you can, again, iTunes, you can click on the link and come. There's so many ways to to connect to Off the Shelf. And I hope you do connect now, so you don't catch the show midway through, we have listeners who come in at the end or in the middle of the show. You can always go back and listen to it um, after in the archives, but it's, it's great to catch it live the first time. Uh, so you can tell your friends again, call in 347-994-3490 or click the link to Off the Shelf right here at Blog Talk Radio. Can you guys believe this is the end of June? I have to tell you, I feel like this month went so fast that I don't even feel like I really experienced it. It was like a blur. Next weekend, you guys, is July the 4th weekend where you you have a lot of different festivals and concerts and fun things to go to. And I hope you get out and enjoy yourself, whether you're with family or friends. I want to drop this. Uh, thought into into your spirit, your mind today, and we started doing this here at Off the Shelf a couple of shows ago, and the thought for today is our greatest weak, weakness lies in giving up. The most certain way to, to succeed is always to try one more time, and that's from Thomas Edison, and goodness knows how much money and time and frustration and what who knows he had a team of people helping him he didn't do it by himself uh but he did so many failures before he finally got it right so he would know that our greatest weakness lies in giving up the most certain way to succeed is always to try one more time and so off the shelf listeners i want to next ask you how good of a mystery sleuth are you and do you value relationships how, how important are relationships to you? Not just a, a romantic relationship between a couple, but the relationships that really program us and and start us on our road out here in this world. And that's a relationship with our parents. If you value those and if they're important to you, and you, if if you would even like to be entertained while possibly you're also being enlightened, I encourage you to pick up a copy of Love Pour Over Me. There's Raymond and Brenda's story. He is an athletic standout. They meet at a college in Pennsylvania, and some of his friends are going to do very, very well uh, in, in sports and in other arenas. There's also a murder mystery tied in Love Pour Over Me, so I encourage you to get a copy of Love Pour Over Me today. You can get it in ebook format or in print at any retailer, any library. If you don't see it on the shelf, just tell the clerk you want to get a copy of Love Pour Over Me by Denise Turney, and they can order you a special copy because it's carried by the largest book distributors in the world. And now let us go. I'm excited. I'm excited. Let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guests. And I get excited about our guests because I I don't just ask these questions off the fly. Some questions I ask our guests, I ask every guest so our listeners can see our different guests, different guests respond. But a lot of them, I do a lot of research uh, putting together these interviews. And when I'm doing my research, I start to get intrigued about certain things about the guests that I want to know. And so our special off-the-shelf guest this morning is Alicia Wiggins. And she is she is a champion. She is a winner. Why she is like me? She is an Ohio native. And congratulations to LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Oh my God! Oh, yeah. I wish I could have been there. 
I heard over a million people came out to Cleveland to celebrate. First time the Cavs won a championship. And I think for Cleveland, that was the first championship since I think 50, was it 64? 52 with years. Jim Brown and, 52 the, uh, years. and the Cleveland Browns. And the Cleveland so, Browns, uh, yeah. Yeah. So to Alicia, our special guest, she's an Ohio native. She's a champion. And she attended Central <laughs> State University and Franklin University. She's also the author of five novels, including A Place Like Home, Someone to Love, Promises to Keep, and Unconditional Love. And her latest is titled Real Love. And we're going to talk about all of her, all of her books today, but spotlighting real love here on Off the Shelf. And you can check Alicia Wiggins out online at www.aliciawiggins.com, and that's spelled A-L-I-C-I-A-W-I-G-G-I-N-S.com, A-L-I-C-I-A-W-I-G-G-I-N-S.com. Alicia Wiggins, welcome to Off the Shelf, Alicia. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's it's a, it's a blessing, and, and and I was telling Alicia before we started to our our listeners, she was just flexible and gracious. I had to reschedule her, had a conflict, and she was so gracious. So I want our listeners to know that and thank her here publicly on the air. It's just such a pleasure oh, to have welcome. you here with us, Alicia. It's such a we, pleasure to be here. And thank you so much. Before we get into today's show. This is a this is one of the questions that we ask every guest who's been on our show. We've had some, oh my God, we've had some guests who have gone on to be on CNN, ones on TV One regularly. I, I I can't even go through the names. Some of them have their own TV shows. We're just honored to to see them go on and do so well. But yeah. before we go into uh, to, to the questions, could you tell off the shelf listeners? Where you grew up in Ohio and what life was like for you growing up? Oh, that's easy. I grew up <laughs> right outside of Columbus in a small village called Urban Crest, and it is a little southwest of uh, Columbus. And it's one of those communities where everybody knew everybody at the time. And it was great growing up that way because, you know, all of my friends were close. Um, we knew that we had to be on our P's and Q's because somebody was always watching, somebody was always, which is a good thing, because somebody was always looking out for us. So and about 16 years ago, I moved back to that community because this is where I was going through a divorce, and I wanted to raise my kids in a place where I knew that they would be cared for um, by me and other people who cared about me. I needed to be around people who loved me and who loved my kids, and this was the place. You know what? So, yeah. I have to tell you, Alicia, and thanks for sharing that. We've we've interviewed guests here from all over the world, and it's funny how people, particularly people in their 40s, 50s, or older, we've had people right out of college here on Off the Shelf as well, but they talk about how the whole neighborhood was involved. I mean, <laughs> I don't even say anything. They every, Almost every last one of them, will. T- I don't care where they grew up, they will talk about how, oh, you knew if you did something wrong, and the neighbor was going to tell it. And <laughs> it was—it's not—it's not so much that today people are afraid to, you know, let me just mind my business. But years right. ago, everybody was in—it was in your business, and you could be told on before you got home from school and be in trouble. So I thank exactly. you for. for I, and I think maybe we need to get back to that a little bit. No, you don't need the people so in your business, but a little bit no. more involvement from the neighbors doesn't hurt. Um, right, and it was, and it wasn't just about them, you know, uh, you know, getting after us when we did wrong. They celebrated our successes. They were proud of us. They encouraged us because, you know, my parents did the same thing. But our neighbors, the people at church, you know, when we did things, they celebrated it. They were proud of us. They encouraged us. They pushed us. And that's what you know my kids had even growing up. So that's that was very important. You know, you want to. You know, sometimes you don't always listen to your parents. But, you know, sometimes when, you know, when pastor so-and-so or, you know, the first lady says something at church or, you know, somebody else at church is quietly encouraging you, slip a dollar in your hand every once in a while, pat you on the back telling you they're proud of you, they want to see you go really far, that means a lot. 
Mm-hmm. No, no, absolutely. Now, Central State is a is it is an historic school. Yes. What did you major in at Central State, and what did okay. what inspired you to take that direction in your studies? That's a, another good question. I was um, I went into Central State as an undeclared major, and my older sister was going to Central State at the time. She was in her second year. And I didn't really know where I was going to school. I just knew that my parents told me I was going to school. So there was no debate about that. So I ended up going to Central State, and I was undeclared and didn't quite know what I wanted to do. You know, that was before the Internet when you could just research the heck out of everything. And even then, I don't know that I would have researched, you know, all of the things that I could have done. But I remember um, my mother had told me a long time ago when I was in high school and I took typing class. She said, if you know how to type, you'll always have a job. So I took typing in high school, and when I got to Central State, I had work-study. So I went into our our, uh, job fair for all the students, and you could be assigned jobs in the library, cafeteria, bookstore. I was assigned to the placement office. So a lot of seniors, uh, graduating seniors, would come through the placement office looking for jobs after graduation. And because I could type, that's how I got that job. And one of the students who also worked in the placement office came in one day and she saw my algebra book. She said, you take algebra? I said, yes. She said, well, how are you doing in that class? I said, I have an A. She said, do you understand it? I said, I have an A. <laughs> she said, what's your major? I said, well, I don't, I don't have a major. I'm not really sure what I wanted to do yet, so I was just going to take all the basic stuff and get it out of the way. She said, have you ever thought about computer science? I said, nope. She said, well, you have to take a lot of math and computer science. And I thought, well, you know, algebra is not so bad. Calculus is not so bad. So she said, just take a couple of classes and see what you, see what you think. So I did. And that's actually, that was my major, computer science. So that's how I got into it. That's a suggestion of somebody who saw my math book and thought I would do well at that. You know, it's it's funny how life just connects. Oh my God! And right. how often are we? How often are we told, "Don't try to figure it out"? It, it exactly. It, it's almost like you wouldn't be here if it already wasn't figured out. You wouldn't even be here. So that's proof that it's already figured out. But then we always want to know what's going to happen next. <laughs> I, I, that's I have true. to ask you, Alicia, is there? Oh, and you talked about your town, and I have to write down the name of it because I, I, I have never heard of the town where you said you grew up. But there's so many oh, little yeah. small towns. Right. There's so many little small towns in Ohio for our listeners who they might think Cleveland and Cincinnati, and mm-hmm. even though when you compare them to Philly or Chicago or Atlanta, they're not really that big when you think about them. But is there, with all the small towns in Ohio, including where you grew up, you didn't even mm-hmm. call it a city; you called it a village. But it is a village. Oh, <laughs> okay. I because didn't know they it's, had it's less than a, Yeah, it's it's less than anything that's less than five thousand people is a village. So we clear. <sighs> I mean, we we are hovering around a thousand people. Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay, is there a Benton Lake, Ohio, in real life? I had to ask you that. <laughs> No, there isn't, but it's actually a combination of just um, the Chillicothe area, Chillicothe, Circleville area, because that part of Ohio is very picture pretty, very serene, just hilly and just a really a really nice part of Ohio. I mean, there's a lot of good parts of Ohio, but that was just, I was there in Chillicothe one uh, weekend, and I was... Um, I was waiting on my niece, and I was sitting in the car. We were sitting on the street, and it was a tree-lined street. Um, there were kids out playing. There were people sitting on their porch. And I just thought, you know, if this, if if everything was just going crazy in my life, this would be the place I would want to come back to as home, if this were home for me. This is where I want to come back to get my life together. And that's really kind of what I created, Benton Lake around, was that Chillicothe, Circleville area. Uh, can you introduce off-the-shelf listeners to Catrice Ware and Lee Oliver? Can you tell us where they're from and what are some of their motivations or passions? Well, Catrice and Lee were um, characters that just had a lot of kind of some emotional things going on in their lives. Where Lee was a widower, he was not a recent widower, but you know anybody that's lost somebody close to them knows 
that's not something that you get over. You know, you don't just pick up and move on after a certain period of time. It just takes a while. And that's how it was for me. He just felt like his life was just just like somebody had pulled the rug from underneath him when his, when his wife passed away. And he was left with a preteen daughter who, you know, was grieving her mother's loss too. So they were both in this weird place. And he just, as much as he tried to push forward and, and to, to move forward and do the things that he needed to do every day, it was just difficult. It, it became a chore. So he needed to regroup. He needed to refocus. He needed to just return home. And home for him was Benton Lake. Now, for Catrice, she had um, her grandmother uh, lived in Benton Lake, but her grandmother had passed away and left her this house. And nobody else in the family wanted this house because they thought Benton Lake was this hick town. Why would we want this house in this hick town? Who goes there? What's there to do? But for Catrice, there were some things that were just going on in her life. She had all she had worked at trying to please everybody for so long that that left very little for herself. So, and that, that wears you out. You know, you cannot constantly try to please other people because it takes so much away from, from who you are and what, what you have to give back to yourself. So she needed, a, she needed to kind of get herself together. So she decided to, to move to Benton Lake. She had always wanted to own her own. She had this vision for, you know, a bookstore, a little, a little coffee shop type of place where people can just come and escape in books. She loved to read. And, um, with it being a small town, you know, she would run into Lee, and, um, you know, they they kind of were not necessarily looking for a relationship, but they were two souls that had just kind of a common, that had, you know, something inside them that just needed to be healed or, or needed to be, um, you know, basically, yeah, needed some healing. So, you know, it, they just ended up getting together. Um, for Patrice, it was... Uh, kind of through Lee's daughter because she would come to the bookstore and because uh, she was an avid reader. So that's kind of how the three of them connected. So it really wasn't even about boy meets girl. It was about, you know, boy meets girl, uh, girl meets boy, and then a daughter in the mix and how are we going to make all this work together and if we do want to make it work. Now, are there, so that's, are there that's ages? pretty much their story. And it, You know, the way you described it, I love when authors do that. You know your characters and your your mm-hmm. your book where you don't need a whole lot of advance notice to de- to describe it, and, and mm-hmm. you really really know your characters and they sound very intriguing the way you describe them. Are they close in age? For some reason in my mind, I'm seeing Lee is a lot older than Catrice. Are they close in age? And does Catrice have any children? No, she doesn't have any children. She um, has not, you know, she's never really had, um, she's had a few serious relationships, but nothing serious enough where she decided to get married or anything. Um, as far as their age, yeah, they're they're close in age. And, I, you know, I used to write my characters younger, like in their early 30s, late 20s, early 30s. But as I've gotten older, it my characters have to get older because I, I can't necessarily <laughs> write. 20-year-old characters anymore. Ah. You know, things are different. The dress is different. The attitude is different. The goals are different. Um, even the simple things, the music is different. You know, values are a little different. So Catrice and, and, um, and Lee are around the same age, uh, mid to late. She's mid-30s. He's late-30s. You know, that's interesting. I'm, that might be a question I'm going to start asking authors on Off the Shelf how old their characters are, if they're close to the author's age. That's very interesting what you just said. Now, does Lee drown himself in work? How long when they meet has it been since his wife passed? I know you said it wasn't recent, but how long has it been? And does he drown himself in work after after uh, his wife yeah. passed? That's, that was part of the problem where he was drowning himself in work. Um, he's an attorney, and he was just, you know, that was his outlet. And his wife had been, she had passed away, I want to say maybe two years prior. Um, so, you know, he it's it's been a little while, you know, from the outside looking in, it's like, well, you know, two years, he should be able to move on. But, again, anybody that's lost someone close to them, you know it's not always easy. There's no magic number to say, okay, two years, I'm, I'm good now, or, you know, it's been 18 yeah. months or whatever it is. There's no magic time. But no. you know he did drown himself in work, in work, and and that that was kind of his what he used as a bomb to heal his wounds. But in turn, 
it was hurting his daughter because she needed him then, but he he didn't see that. So you know, it was it was she was acting out. She was um, not so much you know doing anything really horrible, but you know she was just preteen. Imagine a preteen on a regular basis. So mm-hmm. yeah, she missed her mom. You know, yeah, she, was, she missed her, her mother. Was Catrice is Catrice is her family still in Benton Lake? I know her, no, her, her other relatives didn't want the house. The grandmother passed away. Right. Is there any family remaining there? That that my, I'm thinking no. for our listeners who might influence her and Lee's relationship. So it's just Catrice. Yep, it's just Catrice. She has an older sister who's married and has children. She has a very uh, she has a her parents. They all live um, they all live in Chicago. Um, so she moved away from that. That's why, you know, they're looking at this, this little hit town. Why would we even want to go there? So they're, but her mother is very, um, has always been very influential in her life, but almost to the point where she's pushy. You know, she had very specific goals for her daughter. And, um, and she, you know, did her, Catrice did her best to live up to her mother's expectations. But after a while, that simply drained her. That left very little for her to achieve on her own or to even dream. And, you know, she looks at her sister who's got this successful marriage and two, you know, children and her life is great and her mother, you know, wants the same for Catrice. But, you know, that's not, that wasn't Catrice's goal at the time. You know, you as parents, we're, it's, it's, it's so tough. I was watching a show last night. You're, we're 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 well intentioned. We want the best for our kids. We don't want them to feel the pains we felt, the struggles, exactly. the trials that we went through. But sometimes, in our quest to keep them safe, we can actually, like what you said, Catrice's mother's doing. She wants her married with kids because she probably thinks that's a safe route. And then we exactly, can, yeah, we end up getting in the way. But we, we're well intentioned. <laughs> we we, we want to keep them safe. Uh, can you tell us, you you told us about the mother. I'm curious to know a little bit, bit more about Catrice's mom, but can you introduce off-the-shelf listeners to some of the other major and minor characters in Someone to Love? Well, she has, uh, oh, you mean a, a, play, a, a place like home. So uh, uh, she's got, you know, her dad, but, you know, they're very kind of minor characters. They come in when they need to. <laughs> and um, she's she's got people that work for her at this bookstore, um, and they're kind of a cast of characters, and they're, you know, one girl is just very goth-looking, you know, tattoos, dark hair, you know, piercings everywhere. But this, you know, Catrice doesn't. She looks at this person as a as a lover of books, and this this is a hardworking person. She's happy to have her there. She doesn't care what other people think that she looks like. So she surrounds herself uh, with people who have a common goal, and that's really to help bring. Catrice's vision of this of her business to life, you know she's um, so that that's really her goal. Now the other characters in the book are um, now Lee has three two brothers and his dad. His mother passed away, but he has his dad. So his dad is a very strong influence in his life. He knows that his son is hurting and he's trying to help him through this grieving process and to get his life back on track and also be a father to his daughter. Because he recognizes that you know that's a piece that that's suffering right now. So you know his dad is a big influence, and his brother Marshall. Um, you know Marshall is like kind of this this playboy, this love him or leave him. But he recognizes a good thing when he sees it, and he 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 meets Catrice, and he he sees that you know she's good for his brother um, because his brother's a little different around her, and he sees his brother he sees his brother. Um, kind of reacting differently to her, and even how his niece reacts to her. To her. So, and actually, Marshall um, is—he's the main character in Real Love, and that's his ah, story. So and his story. I was gonna—I I definitely want our off-the-shelf listeners to introduce them to some of your other novels, but I—I—I I, I, I almost always run out of time before I get through all the questions, and I definitely want to <laughs> talk about. Real love, so you kind of segued into it. Can you tell mm-hmm. us, introduce us, or give a synopsis on real love? Sure. So um, that story is um, Marshall and Trinae's story. So Marshall is this, you know, he, he sees 
you know, he's still very close to his brother Lee. Um, and Marshall is a, um, he's just kind of this guy that's kind of grizzled, just kind of a little war-weary if he, for, because he's been in some relationships, but he's he's at the point in his life where he says, you know what, this that's not for me. That wife and kids and picket fence and dog, that is not for me. So I just, you know, if I want some love and affection, I know where to get it, and I know where to leave it when I'm done. And that's his attitude. I mean, he's not um, disrespectful. He just knows to choose the kind of women that are not looking for a commitment, that, you know, the physical is enough for him. And he's um, he owns his own business. He's a, a contractor. He he's, has a construction company. And he's actually in the capital city. So the capital city is Columbus. And um, so he's he's wanting to take his business to his company to another level. So he's, he's uh, working at – he's had some small bids with the city – for some projects, and he's putting in a bid for this this new project that's coming up. And um, so he kind of uh, gets into a relationship with uh, a council person, um, a city council person who, who, for all intents and purposes, is, uh, you know, it's kind of a you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours uh, type of relationship. Marshall's a little weary of it, but he's like, well, you know, this, this guy's going to help me get this contract. So what happens is his his contract bid is rejected. So he thinks that he's done everything right to to get this this lucrative contract, and he doesn't. So he's 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 pretty upset about this. So he goes to file an appeal. Comes to find out that the the council member that he needs to get in touch with is, you know, something's happened. He's he's kind of uh, he's out of the picture right now. So he has to talk to someone else. The someone else happens to be Trinae. Her office is a new office that the mayor has created, and it's the office of Green Building. So for Marshall, this he's like the what he's thinking, well, you know, recycling and green building practices. This is this is ridiculous. I can't believe my bid has been rejected because of this. So you know, Catrice, um, I mean, uh, Trinae very politely uh, lets him know, uh, you know, we've got certain standards. The city has adopted certain standards. Your company is no exception. You have to abide by these. So, you know, he's he's thinking that, okay, you know, you know, being angry doesn't work. Let me try to schmooze her. That doesn't work. So he can't figure out how to to get to Trinae to be able to um to advance his business, to get this bid approved. So he realizes this is not the typical type of woman he's used to dealing with and he's a little baffled. You know, he's kinda of met his match here. So he he's like what you know, he doesn't know what to do. Now, for Catrice, she just, I mean, I'm sorry, I keep saying Catrice. For Trinae, you know, she's, she's used to this. She's in a very male-dominated field, and, you know, she's worked really hard to get where she is. And uh, so she's not going to be bullied into relaxing their policies because if she has to do it for one company, she'll have to do it for another. But she has a reputation to be, you know, to, mm-hmm. to uh, protect. So, you know, but she does find something very, she's, she finds something interesting about um, Marshall. She, and she's not happy about that either because she's like, you know, this guy is so abrasive and so this and so that, and you know, she's the exact opposite. She's very, everything's very precise. Everything's very organized. Everything's very planned out, and that's how her life is. But something happens to turn her life upside down. She, she's wow. actually a victim of stalking. And wow. but this stalking okay. has been going on for a while. She didn't know she did you know, she she doesn't she feels very safe, as most of us do. You know, you you go to work, you go to probably shop at the same places, you know, you socialize. So she doesn't know she's people. been stalked. She doesn't she does know not. until she starts seeing she starts there's little things that she didn't really pay attention to at first. Once she starts paying attention to them, she realizes that something's going on and she she doesn't know who and she doesn't know what the motive is and um and it just so and she because she's she's starting to have this uh, working relationship with Marshall and Catrice I mean Trinae has her you know she, she's an only child she has no family in that area she has a few friends but she doesn't have anybody really close so she needs to she needs actually at this point um where it's become a situation where it's, it's dangerous. So she needs to be able to find somewhere that's safe. Here comes Marshall. Happens to have a little cabin away in Benton Lake. 
and there's no no one. <laughs> so, you know, okay, nobody's there to make that connection. <laughs> yeah, here we go. And Benton Lake is back. <laughs> there we go. Oh my goodness! So, so that's where how how old is. is Marshall and how old is Shanae? And I have to ask you. Trinae didn't know she was being stalked. Like you said, like a lot of us, she thinks nothing's going on, everything, same same routine, everything's cool. Right. How long was she stalked before she – I know you said she started picking up on things, but had she been stalked? Right. Some people, some people might be being followed, particularly when you think the Internet. It could go on for over a year and you don't even know it. And you don't even know it exactly. She didn't. No. She, like I said, she noticed little things. Like the one, the one turning point for her was – something that she noticed one day when she came home from work, and I don't want to give it away. I want, I want readers to read it, and I want them to be kind of freaked out. <laughs> but it was something that she noticed, and then, um, you know, as she started to put things together, and she happened to mention something to Marshall, he immediately immediately picked up on it because he's just, that's the type of person he is. And, again, you know, for her, you know, he, he stresses, you know, you've got to pay attention to the people around you, to, you know, what's going around you. She said, I don't, you know. I go to the same grocery store, I go to the same dry cleaner, I get coffee at the same place every morning. I don't pay attention because I've never had to. So it, it had been going on for um, roughly a, a month or so, maybe a couple of months. Wow. You know, and that, again, going back to the online thing, it's sometimes it's a, it's a coworker, and you don't even know that something's happening until – something really extreme occurs and then you look back exactly. and you're like, Wow. That yeah, and then the clues actually... and the clues start. Yeah. And that, that you know, that's the that. other thing too. You know, with the you know, with the internet anymore, you can find out so much information about people. I mean mm-hmm. so much information. Wow. Okay. I wanna ask you a few questions about your book writing. I don't want wanna get a story. Oh, I, I had asked you. Now Marshall, you said he's from he lives in Columbus is he from Columbus? Uh, he's from Benton uh, Lake. Oh, oh, okay. So he's originally from Benton Lake. He um, he only goes back occasionally. Um, so, but yeah, he's he actually has you know offices in you know several cities throughout the state. But you know, Benton Lake is his home. But his he primarily lives in Columbus. Okay, and how old is Marshall at the start of the book? And how old is Trené? Um, they're both late thirties, early forties. Well, he's he's oh, early. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry, he's late thirties. She's late thirties. Okay, okay. I had to remember how old they were for a second. Yes, they're late thirties. He sounds like a very professional. He carries himself well, but he's not interested in any emotional attachments for our off-the-shelf listeners. Is there a reason, Alicia, why he just doesn't want his heart to get involved? Is he scared? Has something happened to him? Where he was, uh, he felt emotionally wounded, and he thought, I, "That's never happening to me again." Why has he taken this approach to his relationship? Yeah, well, he's he's, you know, I think we forget sometimes that men get hurt too, and he was, you know, he had given his all. He was in a relationship. He had given his all. He had just he jumped in with both feet, and but you know, it wasn't a mutually beneficial relationship. It was where he was the giver and and this girl was a taker. It wasn't you know, it wasn't a give and take thing. It was a he was the giver, she was a taker. Emotionally, um, you know, financially, everything. This woman just did she saw him for what she could get from him. And he loved her. And he just thought, you know what, that is too much of a that is too painful to have to do again. That's it's just too much. And he doesn't he doesn't even trust himself to be able to give that much of himself to anybody else anymore because he feels like, I thought I knew this person, you know, and I, I gave her this all, and look look what happened. So there's a, you know, does he trust himself to do that again? No. He's, he's been burned in more than one way. So, you know, he, uh, he, he kind of blames himself too. Uh, but he didn't, he didn't see the signs. Now, no. Why the title? Do we ever? <laughs> I, you know what? This is what they say, <laughs> psychologists. Yes, we do. We just don't. We just ignore them. We we want. We as we said at the start of the show. 
there, our lives have a plan, and we, we want to know how everything's going to come together, every little piece of it all the way through. Every bit. <laughs> but it's like you're not going to know the next thing till you finish this step. And it, it's frustrating to us. We're like, just tell me how the whole thing plays out. <laughs> it's like we want to watch the whole movie from the beginning and then watch right. it again. Right. So, it, it, and life just doesn't 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 go that way. But um, but so Marshall, he's been he's been hurt, and and I guess he's I'm 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 going he's going to protect himself. But you've written several books. That's why I wanted to ask you this. You've written several books, and and Catrice and and Lee, they sound interesting, and we want to talk about more of your books if we have time uh, for sure. Mm-hmm. But I had to ask you. All these different titles, all your different books. Why did you title this one Real Love? Well, it's because when the reader reads this book, they'll realize that for Marshall and Trené, they're in a situation that's not a typical situation. It's a very protected, very, um, you know, solitary situation where it's not your you know, you're around everyday people. You're around, um, you know, your your typical getting up, going to work, and doing all this stuff. So for them, when they're when they're inventing, like when Catrice is just when they're trying to figure out, you know, who who is this that's trying to cause her harm? It's it's kind of a situation where it's not your typical situation. It's like being on vacation, it's like falling in love on vacation. So you're on vacation. You're on. You're in your vacation mode. You're not in your everyday. I got to pay the bills. I got to clean the cat litter. I got to get my oil changed. That kind of mode. <laughs> you know, it's like mm-hmm. okay, is that that's not the same me as the me that's on vacation. So that's why it's because for them, they're asking them. They're they're asking themselves constantly: Is this real, or is this because of the situation we're in right now? Ah, uh, ah, okay. Now I have to ask you: When you were talking about Marshall, he's a he's construction contractor, lives in Columbus, mm-hmm. and then Trinae, Uh I thought about the New Orleans, and then the mayor was it Nagins? He's now doing time. Oh yeah. I thought about that. Now this this is a uh, when you, we talk about getting bids and landing contracts, people start you know they want to get in to c- close with politicians so they can get those bids. The, is Trinae does she keep her without giving a story away? Does she keep her head above water throughout, or does she kind of teeter the line a little bit? Oh, you know what? That's a good question because yes, she does. But that's one of the reasons that some of the people who are have been in this business or been in you know involved in this process for so many years don't like her because she is ethical. She is doing the right thing. And, you know, where they're used to, you know, they've got this old boy network where, hey, I'm going to award this contract to my friend or, you know, to my, you know, relative or whatever it is. You know, she adheres to a certain set of standards, and a lot of people are like, you know, that are there are just, hey, who is she to come in here and upset this process that we have? Ah, uh, okay, okay. This is, <laughs> so, yes. You know, your, your book is um, – Real love, did, did you base it on, when you think about these bids, and again, there there are politicians who've actually gone to jail because they, people will give you gifts. I, I, almost every corporate, the corporations I've worked at, they really tell people you cannot accept gifts. You cannot give out these big gifts. It goes on right. all the time, all over the world. It affects it affects who gets in the office in the, as mayor. It affects governor, president. Pick a office. It, 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 this is so. The fact that you made him a construction contract. I have to ask you this: Are there any? Did you base any of your story on any real life events? No, but you know, I think if you pay attention to the news, there's always something. There's always a little story about. You know, somebody who is in a position of being able to, um, you know, grant some type of access or, or um, you know, bids or something like that where they're, they're just skating along the edge of 
being ethical or unethical. And sometimes it's not necessarily where they cross that line, but they're skating. And see, that's what this person was doing that Marshall was dealing with. And for Marshall, he knew that in the back of his mind, this may not be what I should be doing, but I'll just do this until I get this particular bid and I get my foot, you know, um, in the door to be able to get some of these larger contracts. So, but, you know, he he has a, he has a moment, you know, you can read it in the book. He has a moment where it's like, you know, don't think that Marshall is like uh, fighting money under the table or, you know, football tickets or hockey tickets or anything like that. But just it's just just enough where it's shady. Mm. So, but he, but the person that he's dealing with, but he, yeah, he kind of was I, also operating. He also kind of was operating on that. Well, um, don't ask, don't tell, or you know, I. I'm not going to ask. I'll just let him do what he's going to do, and I just need to be able to get this contract. But then he realizes, hey, you know, sometimes, you know, this may not be the best option. Is there going to be a sequel to Real Love? I can see this. I can see this as a television movie. (laughs) I see it playing out in my head. Is there going to be a sequel to Real Love? Um, I don't, you know what, when I wrapped up the story, I always try to wrap up my stories at the end of the book where the readers, they're, they're satisfied. Like, oh man, I wonder what happens to, nope, I try to tie up all of my loose ends. But you're right, it's funny because when I was writing this book, in my mind, this was a movie. Because if, you know, anybody that's read this, read this book or wants to read it, when you read it, you can visualize just a lot of what's going on you know, the time that's been in Benton Lake, um, you know, just even some of the everyday things that are going on with Trené. So it's, um, it, to me, it's a movie. It's a bit of a mystery because you don't know who this person is that's, you know, what their motive is. You know, what are they doing? What, what are they trying to, uh, what do they hope to accomplish? And then, and just even for Trené and Marshall, how their relationship builds. You know, I always try to have, and when I write my stories, they have to be, um, you have to build the story. You can't just have two people fall in love. You have to give them a reason to fall in love or fall out of love or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You're, so, this story I don't, is, I don't, mm-hmm. this story is very intriguing because when you think about Anything we got the elections coming up, and I don't. I think most people don't know how much goes on behind the scenes. But you could, you could just take this story and run with it if you wanted to. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. just, I mean, from real life things that go on. Again, you can start it out with like a bid issue, and then, oh my god, oh my god, and I'm just thinking <laughs> real, real life things that impact people get into positions, and they impact hundreds of thousands of millions of people's lives and there's so much going on behind the scenes that most people are totally unaware of but as soon as you said the beer thing i it just i said wow there are people who've actually gone in jail for that kind of stuff but oh, you've yeah. written a lot of you've written a lot of books alicia obviously you are able to pick up these plots and your characters <laughs> you, you i can hear when you answer the questions that you are very your characters, are, you've thought them through. Now, are you a writer that said, are you a writer who can knock out a novel in like one to two months? Some writers have come on off the <laughs> shelf, and I mean, they put out three, four novels a year. Are you one of those writers? And what is the writing process like for you? What is that process like? Well, you know what? I am not one of those writers that can knock out a novel in two to three months. I wish I could, but I, I don't. It usually takes me about a year. And that that process starts for me. Sometimes it's a story that I have in my mind. I, I, I'll know a story, and that was with Catrice and Lee, you know, the, the widower and the um, and where Catrice came to, the, to Benton, Benton Lake. So I had in my mind, two troubled souls needing to heal, needing to come home. And so it started really, that story started with a place. Now with Marshall and Trené, theirs started because I needed to, I wanted to give Marshall a story. Now you don't have to read um, Lee and, and, and uh, Catrice's story to, to know about Marshall because they're independent stories. 
But I, I felt like I wanted to give Marshall a story because I didn't want to leave him with this attitude of this is just how the rest of my life is going to be because it, to me that was a very lonely existence. And I thought he's got too much to give. And and I I built the story around that character and then Trinae's character because he had to have he had to meet somebody that, um, you know, he couldn't easily win over. So, you know, sometimes it starts with a story. Sometimes it starts with a place. Sometimes it starts with – it could be a combination of things, things that are maybe going on in, in my friends' lives or, you know, in the world or um, it could just be – it could be anything. There's stories everywhere. I don't have enough time to write all the stories that are going on in my head. I wish I did, but I don't. You know what? You sort of you sort of kind of again segue into another question I wanted to ask you, and it wasn't one I had had research to ask you. But um, uh, have you ever had a story idea come to you, and you started writing the story? And somehow you realize, and this is for off-the-shelf listeners who are writers or who want to be writers, somewhere along the way you realize this this story won't work. Have you ever abandoned a story? And if so, what was it? Can you give us some signs for our listeners who want to be writers? Uh, uh, what are some signs yeah. when you know this, this story is not going to work? I think when you're just really lamenting over it, when you're really just struggling I mean, you're going to have points where you hit a wall, and and for me, when I hit a wall, I can I can start to edit because that gives me because I have to do that anyway. So if I get to a point in the book, I'm like, I just can't make this part work. Then I'll just go back and edit. And then sometimes when I'm editing and rereading, something opens up, and then I'm able to go forward. But if I'm doing that and I still cannot go forward. Or if I come up with a, a situation in a book, I'm like, okay, this is going to be the conflict. But then if that conflict is so namby-pamby and I'm like, nobody is going to believe that or that situation could have been resolved by a face-to-face conversation and, been all, and it'll have been all good, then that's not a good story for me. So I have to say, nope, that's not going to work. So, yeah, I've had stories where I've started and they just didn't go anywhere and they just seemed to ramble and when that happens, uh, even though, you know, even after editing, because you're going to, when you're first writing, you're going to put, it's just like, you know, everything just flows out or 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 not. But you go back and you read it and you're like, eh, this is just not, because I'm still a reader. You know, right. even though I'm reading my stuff, I'm still a reader. And if I'm not pulled in by right. it, then nobody else is going to be either. I think that's a good sign, for, again, for our off-the-shelf listeners. Um, if the story doesn't hook you in emotionally as a writer or if a part of the story doesn't, because I've, all, I've often heard top, top writers, and these are people who consistently sell hundreds of thousands or, or more copies of each of their books, they, they'll they say, you know, you a part of being a good writer is you have to know what to cut out. So when you when you're when you're writing – you put it all in, then you go back and edit. It's mm-hmm. sometimes hard as a writer to oh, take it, some it things is hard. out. Oh my God! You're like, no, I don't want to do it. But you, right? Then the reader I've reads had to and take they're whole like, chapters out. Yes, <laughs> the reader is like, why was this in here? This didn't make any sense. So right. you, 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 you have to. But if you, if the story, I, I would, I agree with you. It has to hook you emotionally as the as the as a writer because you're also a reader like you said and if it doesn't you might need to step away from the story um there's so many questions i want to ask you but we only have 12 minutes left i absolutely <laughs> love your blog and your blog is so personable i just oh, the, the picture you. the pictures of you and with your grandchild i said oh my gosh her blog is so it's just so personable i love your blog uh, this Thank again you. for our, for our listeners, and they may not be novelists. They might have another small business product that they either already have gotten off the ground or that they want to get off the ground and promote more. But a blog is a great way to do that. So when did you start blogging, and how has blogging helped to introduce new readers to your books? 
Well, it was one of those things that I knew early on that if I needed it, I had to have a website to to have a presence because I cannot be everywhere and I cannot think of every way to get people to know who Alicia Wiggins is. So I started what I call monthly musings. Now, I cannot write something, you know, I can't post every day or every week, but once a month I can come up with something and put on my monthly musings. And it's it started when I started doing it, and it was um, I think maybe about seven years ago, and it was when my son was getting married, and because I, I was I was thinking, what am I going to write about if I do this? What am I going to write about? And I thought, well, it doesn't have to all be romance related. It could be what's going on in the world. It could be anything. And I thought, well, and I was feeling, you know, some kind of way about my son getting married at that time. I wasn't unhappy. Twenty-one years old. <laughs> he had just turned yeah. twenty-one. And he was in school, and I thought, you are so young. How do you even know? So I thought, I'm going to just break it down for him. I'm going to say, look, okay, you want to be married, living on your own? That means you got to pay your own bills. You got to buy your own toilet paper. You got to buy your own groceries. Take care of your car. You're no longer on my insurance, blah, blah, blah. And for him, he was like, (laughs) okay, mom, okay, all right. So for him, it was – because I'm like, well, what's love got to do with it? You know, and I'm naming all these practical things. For him, love was everything. It was everything. And I was seeing just the mom version of what was going on, all the the responsibilities and just forgetting being 21 years old and being in love. You Mm -hmm. know, they're going to make it work. You know, they're going to make it work. Okay. So that's kind of where I started. (laughs) And and I have to tell you, I've seen a lot of blogs. And I don't know what it is about your blog. It's very authentic. And I, and, and I encourage our off-the-shelf listeners, again, to get, go over to Alicia's website, aliciawiggins.com, A-L-I-C-I-A-W-I-G-G-I-N-S.com. And go over and check out her blog and then see if you don't come away with a, a same, or maybe you do a different one feeling than I, than I did. What have readers been saying, Alicia, about your your latest book, Real Love. What have you been hearing from readers about Real Love? Well, some people have said that what they like is they feel as if the characters are real. They feel as if Trine and Marshall are real. I had a friend of mine say, tell me that, you know, she had, uh, she had to stop reading because she had to go to work, and she was at work thinking, I wonder what Trine's doing right now. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so, and that's, that's why... When I create my characters, I want them to seem real. I want you to care about them. I want you to either hate them or love them or cheer for them or whatever it is. I want you to have some serious emotion, emotional attachment to these characters. I want you to, you know, to, to want to know how they end up. So that's, you know, that's what I'm hearing. And, you know, a few people have said, you should make this into a movie. Well, I would very much like to do that. <laughs> but that's a, that's a big goal. <laughs> Now you went to school in at Central State. You you came back, and you moved back to the village where you came from. Tell mm-hmm. us, because I don't I don't know if I you said this earlier, but this question popped into my head. When did you start? Did you start writing novels after you moved back home? When? How long have you been writing novels? You've, you've probably um, written and published. Several, so yeah, far. I've been writing. I've been writing since about 1996, 97. So I wasn't. I hadn't moved back home then, and um, my kids were little at that time. They were um, like really little, and like five, six, seven, eight. And so it was easier for me to write then because they went to bed at eight thirty, you know, eight o'clock, eight thirty, and I could write to about midnight. Um, got older, I kept thinking, well, you know, when they get older, they'll be a little bit more independent. They'll be doing their own thing. No, they were, it became harder, right? Because <laughs> I was having to share the computer with them, and I'm like, I need, my, I need my own. I need a laptop. And then, you know, you got to show for them until they get their license. And so it became harder. And um, But when I moved back home, I had already written, I think, two I was just publishing my third novel when I moved back home, and which is kind of weird because I was going through a divorce at that time. So it was a little different writing when you're because uh, the whole love thing is a little skewed when you're when you're going through a divorce. But you know what? Books have always been my escape. My 
my getaway, my, you know, my alternate reality. So writing is the same thing. So I can, you know, that was my escape. You know, just because my life wasn't going that great at that time doesn't mean I couldn't write about a life that was going well. Now, for for our listeners, Alicia, who would love to write a novel, they'd love to be in your shoes. You've you've written and published five. They will they would love to just do publish one. Did you? We know you majored in computer science. Did you? Mm-hmm. Did you take any uh, like structured? A couple of years ago, they, there was a, a big lot of talk about writers getting like a master's of writing degree. Mm-hmm. And I know if, if somebody wants to do nonfiction writing or freelance writing, it probably would look good on your resume or your portfolio. But did you, when you started, did you just sit down and start writing a novel? Did you go to a lot of workshops and conferences? Did you did you take college courses in writing? Uh, again, for our listeners who are think they want to get started and want to know how, how did you just get started writing writing novels? I just started because I had always see the same for me even though I was a major computer science major and you know took a lot of math and a lot of programming I have always loved writing so when I had to write a term paper or when I had to write a research paper I never minded that at all because I liked doing that I liked you know putting those concepts together I like you know making sense of of whatever it was I was writing about so I've always loved to write so when it was when I started to write, I just sat down and I started writing. Now I did research. Um, I did, you know, this is before the internet was as profound as it is now. I would go to the library, and I still tell people use your local library. It is a tremendous resource, and people are there to help you. So I would go mm-hmm. to the library to research. You know how you know what do you how do you write a novel? How to come up with plots? You know what is first person and you know third person? What does all this mean? Um, you know what the other important thing that I found out about writing was it's important to read. That's how you become a better writer because you need to read, and especially if you're submitting your work to a publishing company, you want to read what they're publishing because you want to make sure that what you're writing is in line with what they're publishing, but it's strong enough to stand on its own or it's unique enough so that your voice is heard. So all of those things, you know, I just I sat down and I started, but I did do some research at the library, but I, I never took to even, you know, I'm, even as years went by and I'm into my third or fourth novel, I, you know, I, I never thought about it. I do go to workshops sometimes and, and I'm around other writers, so that's always a good thing. It's always good to be, whatever you're going to do, even writing or not, be around people who are doing it or who are aspiring to do it too. Yes, yes, because you can learn from each other. Now, where can yes. off-the-shelf listeners get copies of your books, Alicia? Well, go to Amazon. You can get um, the ebook there. You can uh, order the paperback copy. You can go to Barnes & Noble. Any bookstore, just go in. If they don't have it, ask them to order it. And then, you know, try to have, like, a little attitude, like, what? You don't have it? Why not? So, <laughs> there you go. You know, there you go. <laughs> there you, you go. Know, if you, now, don't, if you, you don't want to spend the money, go to the library. Ask the library to get it for you. Because there that way, go. not only are you getting a chance to read it, when you return that book, other people are going to get a chance to read it. So that's exposure. That's people who may have never read my book. Okay, okay. And and do you have any upcoming speaking engagements? If so, can you let us know? And then also, as we wind down to our last few minutes, can you let us know where you are on social networks? Yes. Okay, so I'm going to be in Akron, Ohio, at the Ohio um, Readers and Writers Expo on July 23rd. Um, go on my website. It's there or just uh, Google Ohio Expo, uh, Ohio Readers and Writers Expo, so July 23rd. And you can, um, like you said, go to my website, A-L-I-C-I-A dot, I'm sorry, dot com, And I'm on Facebook at... Um, I think it's Alicia Wiggins' author. So, you know, go on Facebook. I post on Facebook Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. I always have a Monday's love quote. Wednesday, I always post a real love story about real situations where people, where love perseveres. And on Friday, just a happy Friday, a little something to carry you in the weekend to make you laugh, make you smile, make you think. 
So, and I, you know, I don't really tweet because I'm not good at tweeting. So I do have a Twitter account, but don't go there because I hardly ever, I hardly ever post anything there. And check out Alicia's blog. Yeah, I'm telling you, we we have really been honored to have Alicia, author Alicia Wiggins here with us, and she's the author of the book, A Place Like Home, Someone to Love, Promises to Keep Unconditional Love and Her Latest Real Love. Again, she's online, AliciaWiggins.com, A-L-I-C-I-A-W-I-G-G-I-N-S.com. We are so honored to have had her. If you came in late, to the show, no worries. As soon as it finishes streaming, you can listen to it in its entirety and share it uh, in the archive. So we want to wish Alicia the best with Real Love and her other titles. And as Thank I you. always tell you, our listeners, you are just amazing. You're phenomenal. You're incredible. And one day you're going to really, really get that. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. See you back here next Saturday, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Alicia, I'll shoot you an email. Thank you so much. Bye for now. Thank you. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 